So have you guys seen this picture before? Do you guys remember this picture? Back when I went tightrope walking across water like that? Yeah, you know that's not true. But it is still a fun picture. My brother did that for me a couple years and said, hey, say you did this on vacation. So that's what I did. But anyway, I was, I was asking for a picture of a guy tightrope walking across Niagara Falls. And this is, the, this is what I got. So just use your imagination, okay? So um, back in June uh, 30th, 1859, I know it's a few years before any of us were around, one of the most famous tightrope walker decided he was going to walk across Niagara Falls. Has anybody ever heard the story before? Okay, he's walking across Niagara Falls and he gets to the other side and there are gobs of people who are cheering and they're excited once he gets to the other side in Canada. Well, he decides, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to get on that tightrope walker, but tight rope, but this time I'm going to take a wheelbarrow across with me. And all the people are oohing and on as he's going to walk across a thousand feet of rope. And if he falls, it's certain death. You know, I mean, there's like one in a zillion chance of actually going over the falls and living, but that probably wouldn't be him. And he's, he's walking, he wants to walk across with the wheelbarrow and all these people are there and he says, does anybody here think that I can make it across with the wheelbarrow? And what did everybody say? Yes, we think you can do it. Yay, go for it. And then he looks at the reporter who's, who's taking notes, who's going to write about the cheers and all the excitement and the moment of silence and the gasps that are let out if he falls. And he says, I believe that you can do it. And the guy says, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> well, that's the end of the story. I don't think the guy actually made it into the wheelbarrow. But there's a, there's a lot of talk that this guy had. He just said, yes, I believe you can do it. But the proof was in the pudding because he did not get in the barrel and go for the, the ride of his life across uh, Niagara Falls. And there's a lot, of, a lot of situations in life, a lot of people who, who we can say and we can boast that we would do something if we had the opportunity, but it's not until that time comes that we actually prove whether or not we believe that or not. You know, you think about... Uh, the guy who's, who's, who says I'm going to go tightrope walking. Yep, I mean, if it, was, if it was here, if I go to Niagara Falls and they have that set up, I'm going to do it. The guy who says, you know, I'm mad at somebody. When they come in this room, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to tell them to their face exactly what I think. Or the person who says, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted him as my Savior. Words are cheap. We can all say whatever we want, but the proof is in the pudding. So when I finally make it to Niagara Falls and I see really what it looks like, it's a thousand feet of rope and it's certain death if I fall, and I don't get up on that rope, I prove that I'm a chicken or I'm wise, but the proof is in the pudding that I was not willing to do that. When I'm mad at somebody and they come walking in this room and I do not tell them what I think and I'm, I'm actually polite and nice to them, I prove that I'm not really that tough a guy. When I say I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior, and then I go out and I live my life and it doesn't reflect that, the proof is in the pudding. I can say whatever I want, but when the opportunity comes to show it by living it out and I don't, I'm proving that, I, that I'm, not, I'm a bigger talker than I am a bigger action. Uh, our notes in here, there's, there's a couple... 
uh, quotes, you know, your, your actions will prove your beliefs. If you say you believe something or you will do something, when that time comes, you are going to do it if you truly believe it. And that's what we find in today's passage with Paul. He, he doesn't set out to say, I'm going to do something and I'm going to prove it. But what we look at is a familiar story of Paul's testimony where he says, this is what my life was like. This is what, this is what you would say in the average normal life of Paul. And he says, this is where I'm at now. And here's the difference. Paul didn't say, this is what my life was like. I met Jesus and then I continued doing exactly what I wanted to do. There is a big black and white difference between what Paul was was and what Paul becomes. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, throughout this, this passage today in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 30. So first of all, what Paul's life was like before Jesus. Acts chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, which is Jerusalem. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priests and the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to... To their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. What was Paul's life before Jesus? He was a persecutor of the faith and he was a good one. He actually he was like kind of like the prime example of what life is like without Jesus. But before that, we find that Paul was he, he was trained by the best. You know, he's up in uh, Tarsus, up north of Jerusalem, and his parents said, "We want Paul to have the best." training possible, we're going to send him down to Jerusalem, and he's going to be trained by a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Now, maybe to you, that's just a hard name, it's hard to pronounce that you're going to have to find in the back of the bulletin if you do the word search, but Gamaliel was a pretty important person of that day. He was a doctor in the law. The, the, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, he was a doctor. He knew that so well that he was uh, like the best of the best. I mean, he studied for years upon years. Uh, he had the title that only seven people got, the title of Rabban, which was the highest uh, title that a teacher had of that day. Only seven people got that, and Gamaliel was one of them. He was the president of the Sanhedrin for 32 years. He was the best in understanding and teaching and explaining and knowing the books of the law. And that was Paul's teacher. He was drugged down to Jerusalem. He was taught by Gamaliel for years on what the law was. And then Paul, he soaked it all in. He soaked it in like a sponge, and he tried to make sure he lived out what he was being taught. And we find that Paul was a guy who tried harder than anybody else. Verses 4 and 5, let me read it again. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So what you find is that in Jerusalem, where Paul's living on the home front, he's trying to eliminate this threat to the law. This Jesus, this this 
message about Jesus and trusting him as their savior, he's trying to eliminate that. And there were other, he says, I'm just as zealous as you guys were. You guys were all zealous for this, and I'm on the same page as you guys. But he says, I take it a step farther. Uh, Paul didn't just stop in Jerusalem. He said, I'm going out there elsewhere to try to extinguish the name of Jesus. It says in verse 5, so also, okay, uh, so also the high priest and the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He says, I'm taking care of my territory. This is my backyard. I'm going to stop the name of Jesus. And that's a pretty devoted guy right there. He wants to stop the name of Jesus, but he says, I'm going to be even more zealous. I'm going to go out there and try to stop the name of Jesus there too. And so Paul, what he's doing is he's he's connecting with the people. And that's a great way to share your testimony. Not making it sound like everybody else is so terrible, but connecting, getting on the same page. Um, Oh, I, I had a way of putting this with those who want to reach you. You're putting yourself in their shoes in order to share Jesus with them. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, you guys were zealous. You guys were trying to kill me. And I'm, I was just as zealous as you are, but I'm different now. And here's the reason why I'm different. But before we get into that... Uh, Paul was on, Paul, we have to recognize, he was, he was, his goal was to do this for God. Uh, he says uh, in verse 2, I was, or verse 3, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. He thought he was doing God a favor by trying to wipe out the name of Jesus. So he's got good intentions. He's doing, he, he's above and beyond what most people are willing to do for what they say they believe in. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. His, his goal was to be the best ever in wiping out the name of Jesus. He, he had the, the greatest motives, and he was on the highway to hell, uh, and that's, that's as far as he was going to get. God was not happy, but and it, that's where he was going to end up. Without Jesus, he was going the wrong direction. But you know what? Paul's not the only one without Jesus whose life is going in the wrong direction. Everybody in here, everybody who might spend some time watching this on YouTube or listening to it on a podcast, their life is going the wrong direction without Jesus. Now, Paul has a pretty amazing testimony, right? When we get to it, his testimony is pretty amazing. I was persecuting people. I was, I was putting people in prison. I was throwing my lot in to say, these people should die. Now, many of you probably had the same, a similar testimony to me. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I went to church every Sunday. I, you know, how many, how many people can hear say, before I met Jesus, when I was a kid, I was a druggie. How many of you can say I robbed a bank? How many of you can say that I ripped old ladies off? None of us, right? We were, the majority of us went to church our whole life. We got saved at a young age, but that doesn't take away from your testimony. You still have a testimony to say, this is what my life was like when I first got saved, and this is how I have grown and I have changed. This is the impact Jesus has made in my life along the way. Everybody needs Jesus in their life. You know, the, the guy who's the drug pusher. You know, the guy who, who spent last night in Chicago. We're not taking drugs, but the guy who says, here's a sucker. I'm going to give him just a little bit of cocaine or a little bit of crack or something to get that juices going so that he's needing me. And so that he's willing to rob and steal and pay me gobs of money so that I can supply this drug for him. That person, guess what he needs? 
He needs Jesus. You know, you think about the athlete, or basketball, since that's what's mainly around here. The athlete, the one who just won the NBA championship, and I don't even know who that is. The one who is the the MVP of the championship. You know, I can I can point out the uh, All Star. You know, the All Star game, Giancarlo Stanton, who hit the home run. Or I can think about. Uh, the, the home run king of the derby, uh, Juan Soto. These guys who are on top of the world, who are everybody's applauding for, that everybody looks up to that says, you're my role model, I want to be just like you. Guess what that person needs? Jesus. You think about the people that are more likely to be in here. You know, very faithful people. You're, I'm faithful to my spouse. I'm faithful to my job. I, I, I've been there for 40 years. I was never sick a day in my life. I never cheated the company. Um, I was a person that they always could call on and rely on. Guess what that person needs? Jesus, right? We all need Jesus. We actually all start at the same point. Whether we, we end up as a druggie or whether we end up as that faithful employee, we all start at the same spot. We all need Jesus just the same. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've lied. We've lusted. We've been jealous. We've had fits of anger. We've been bitter. Uh, we, we've harbored anger in our heart. There's, there's so many things we all can say. I've lied. I've stolen. I've cheated. I've done something wrong. I can feel like find comfort in that because I know all of you have done it too. Right? We are all in the same boat. We are all on the same page. But what gets to be a little more uncomfortable is what you find in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And if I die and I go to hell, I'm not going to have a big party with people around me. I'm not going to see all of you. Even if you didn't know Jesus as your Savior, we are not going to all be having a party down there drinking and, and laughing and having a good time with the hot stuff. Right? It's going to be me by myself, tormented, suffering away from God forever. We are all in that same boat. We are all heading in the same place as the drug pusher, as the faithful spouse, as the employee, as the star athlete. We are all starting at the same point what our life was like before Jesus. Whether it's amazingly terrible or barely bad, we are all in that same boat. Paul's life changed from being a persecutor of the faith to being a promoter of the faith. What was that difference? Jesus. Jesus was that difference. And it was never too late. Jesus is that difference. And he had one of the most dramatic or dramatic stories of life change that you could ever have. Here's how it went down when, when Paul met Jesus, verses 6 through 8. He's on his way to Damascus in order to bring more people back to Jerusalem so that he can persecute them and punish them for what they are believing. And along the way, it says in verse 6, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And it says in verse 9, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. He says, What shall I do, Lord? I asked. He said, Get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. 
So he's on his road to Damascus. He's not taking a vacation. He's not going there to drum up support for Jerusalem. He's going there to kill people. He's there going there to haul them in chains, man and woman, boy and girl, anybody who says, I believe in Jesus, he's, his goal is to take them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and put them to death and eliminate them. And that's where he's going. You know what's really cool about this? You know, Paul was on his way to do what he has already done in other places. And Jesus stopped him and says, I want this guy as part of my family. He didn't wait and say until Paul stopped persecuting people to say, okay, now I'm going to work with this guy. He didn't wait until Paul uh, even recognized he did anything wrong. He didn't wait until Paul got his life perfect before he connected before he, he drew himself to Jesus, before he had this conversation with Jesus, which tells you that you don't have to have your life perfect before you turn to Jesus. You don't have to try to get rid of that habit. You don't have to try to stop doing X, Y, or Z before you're good enough to, to go beg Jesus for forgiveness. Wherever you're at, Jesus is waiting right there to make you part of his family. So Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, or I mean, I'm sorry, to Damascus, and has this encounter with Jesus. And Paul gets something pretty special. Because who, who is it that tells Paul about Jesus? Jesus, right? Because it says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. There's a great big bright light. All these, all these companions of Paul can see this bright light. They hear some kind of talking, but they can't understand this. And Paul has this conversation with Jesus. Now, I didn't have that. I'll get into my testimony a little bit later, but I didn't have that. And I don't know anybody who has had that kind of experience uh, personally. But that's what Paul had. He had Jesus talking to him. If we turn over to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it, it says that Paul had a visual encounter with Jesus at the same time. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul had a pretty amazing, life-changing, transforming encounter with Jesus. He got to hear Jesus' voice. He got to have his visual interaction with Jesus. And that's what, what God did for him. And I, I want to go back again to Paul's life because he talks about 1 Timothy 1.16. He says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst. I mean, what, how, how much worse do you get than trying to, to kill God's people? You're going around from place to place to try to do that. And, and Paul, he may not be the worst guy who ever got saved. In his mind, he was. And he's saying, if, if God saved me, God can save you too. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's like those sisters said, it's never too late to put your trust in Jesus and meeting Jesus. Everybody needs the opportunity to meet Jesus. And you can meet Jesus anywhere. You know, uh, I met Jesus from my, from my parents. My parents told me about Jesus at a young age. My kids, they met Jesus at a young age because I told them, and lastly, we told them about Jesus. Now that doesn't mean Jesus showed up and I said, hey, Noah, here, shake Jesus' hand, and here, here's Jesus, Jesus, this is Noah, have a conversation and, and have a relationship. Because Jesus didn't show up physically, but in order to meet, what it means to meet Jesus is to say, you know what, I got this conviction inside of me that there is something wrong 
And it's a being willing to admit to Jesus that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And trusting Jesus to be, that, to, to be my Savior. That's what it means to, 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 uh, to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, starts living inside of you, and He helps you to change. And He, he develop that relationship so much better. Yes, Paul got a little bit of audio time with Jesus, but most of his life he did not have that. But he had that relationship. So you can meet Jesus from loved ones. So if you know somebody, you could be that loved one who teaches somebody about Jesus. That's the best way. You know, having me get up and, and talk to a bunch of people who don't know me, that, that could work. The Holy Spirit works through that. But the best way to do that is through you and through who I know that I'm talking to. You can meet Jesus in a hotel room. You remember the Gideons? Remember that, that the Jesus Freak book I gave away last week? That I got the idea from the Gideons. People have done that. They're, they're, they're about ready to drink their life away or take their pills. And they start reading through the scriptures and they recognize they're a sinner and Jesus loves them. And they put their trust in him and they have eternal life. You can meet Jesus in a hotel room. You can meet Jesus in jail. You know, I'm reading this book... Uh, Fresh power, and and there's stories in this about this one guy who he has a, an amazing testimony. He was one of those guys who his whole life was wrong. He was in and out of jail. He was a guy who was standing in a phone booth and got shot twice, and the bullets are still in him. He's got, and I don't know how, but one's in his back and one's in his jaw, and he's still out there doing wicked things. He's got multiple kids by multiple women, and he gets saved, but. That guy in, was in jail. And there's other stories in that book of, of people who were in jail and their lives were transformed. Uh, there was a kid that I led to the Lord in jail. And it, and it was not me. It was the Holy Spirit. His name was Bamaro. And the way it worked at this, this kid jail was we would go in there with cookies and chips. You know, so we could bribe the kids to listen to us. And we would share a, a Bible message and the gospel. And then we'd all just sit around and talk. Here, you eat your chips. Here's the hottest chips I could find. Here's your cookies. Here's your juice. Be happy. Well, one kid said, hey, can we go talk? His name was Bomaro. And so I, I know this is not just, hey, we're going to be buddy-buddy stuff because we already have that going on. And so we moved to a different table. And I'm able to share Jesus with him, and he gets saved. I've never contact, I have no contact with this kid. But you can meet Jesus anywhere, in a prison, in a jail, in a, in a courtroom, in a, in a lunchroom, in church. You know, you can, people get saved to church, believe it or not. You know, people watch movies or go to concerts, and Franklin Graham Crusades, people go forward because they meet Jesus. I'm trying to share Jesus with you right now. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. My dad, he met Jesus in a closet. You know, he went to a Bible study with my mom. He heard about Jesus. He says, I am not praying here. And he went home and he, he knelt down in the closet and said, Jesus, if this is real, I want this. My dad was a pretty tough guy. You know, if you looked at me, you'd be like, we are, we are, the apple fell very, very far away from the tree. If you look at our lives, he got into fights. He chased the kid into his own house to beat him up. I mean, that was my dad. He was the drinker. He was the race car driver. He was that guy. But now he's a pastor because there was, and he's loving people and he's sharing Jesus because it was life changing. So you can meet Jesus anywhere. And if the proof is in the pudding, if you are truly saved, there is going to be a difference. We all need that. 
You know, it says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till Paul got it right. He's not going to expect you to get it right before he's willing to save you. Acts 16.31 says, Salvation, meeting Jesus, is the easiest thing that you can do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe means to trust, to rely on, put your confidence in. You already know you're a sinner. You put your confidence in Jesus that he's going to forgive you, that he is going to save you, that when you get to heaven, he's going to say, Yep, Josh, I know he, he screwed up and I know these are the things he's done wrong, but he is saved. I forgive him. Welcome into a paradise, you know, to heaven with me, right? That's maybe that kind of thing, but it's that easy. He's not going to say, boy, Josh has to go get it right and fix everything first. Wherever you are at, you can meet Jesus and he can be your savior. He loves you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He does not want you to go to hell and face the consequences for your own actions. And I hope you believe that. And I hope you understand that. I hope that, I hope right now that if you really have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got the Holy Spirit just pounding on you on the inside. That you're like, I'm so uncomfortable, I, I can't even stand it. I can hide it from people, but on the inside I'm feeling that I need this. I don't want it possibly, but I need it. Because Jesus loves you. I don't want you to ever forget that. And I, I don't think you will forget that. But don't forget that. So Paul, he was a guy who was persecuting Christians. He was a guy who was, who was trying as hard as he could to be good enough to get to heaven. He's a guy who met Jesus. And it, it, he didn't stay the same. He didn't go out and continue trying to be good enough to get to heaven. He, he went out and continued. He, he, be, he became a new creation. He was a new person. He was completely different. Instead of, like I said, persecuting Christians, he started promoting this faith. He went on mission trips. He was willing to be beat and to be put in prison and face death and imprisonment, whatever it took to do what Jesus wanted him to do. Why was there this drastic change in his life? Because of Jesus. And the proof was in the pudding. When the poo-poo hit the fan, he was standing on the right side, backing up his faith by his actions. So here's a little bit of what Paul's life looked like. Uh, verses 16 uh, through 30, I'm not going to read all of that. But the first thing we see is verse 16. Uh, and it says, now, this is what, what happened as part of his, when he got saved. It says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So the first thing that happens after Paul has this encounter with Jesus, and he, he trusts Jesus as his Savior, the first thing he does is he gets baptized. Very, very simple. I've seen baptisms take place in a river. I've seen them take place in uh, a lake. I've seen them take place in a pool. I've seen them take place in a horse trough. I've seen them take, take place in a bathtub. Pretty much anywhere there's water, people have said, I want to be baptized. So it's not the location, but Paul was baptized. And what is baptism? Really, you're, you're getting wet, right? It's not that hard. You're, but what it means is that I am dying to myself. When I'm being buried, when I'm getting dunked underwater, as if I am dying to myself and I'm being raised to life again and I'm going to live for Jesus from now on. Uh, Romans 6, 4, let me read that for you. Unless you'd like to follow along and beat me there. It says, Therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
Paul was baptized, not as it appears here where it says, uh, be baptized and wash your sins away, because it doesn't actually wash your sins away. It, it, it's not, it does not save you, but it's a picture of washing your sins away. When Jesus forgives you, it washes your sins away. And he, it's that I'm going to live for him for now, from now on. And, that, and Paul's life was drastically changed. So let me ask you a, some question, a question. Have you, have you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, have you been baptized? It's very, very simple, right? We've had kids do it. Um, we, there, I've known old people that have done it. And you, what you do is you, you, you give a testimony of your faith. Hey, I wasn't even thinking about you, old people. <laughs> They're smiling because they want to count themselves as old. But everybody on the gamut right there of people who have said, I, I'm a sinner. I'm just letting you know. And I'm trusting Jesus to save me from my sins. I'm being baptized to show that. Have you been baptized? If not, what's keeping you from it? Is it because you, you have questions about it? Let's talk about it. It's very simple. I'll, I try to explain as much as I can. Is it because you're afraid to stand up in front of people? I understand that too, but I hope that's not stopping you. Jesus went to the cross in front of everybody for you. And so if you're afraid to do that in front of people, to do what everybody else has already done, I don't think there's nothing to be afraid of and, and be willing to, to be baptized. But that's what Paul did first. He was baptized. The next thing we find in the verse previous, Paul, Paul's told, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Paul, God gave Paul a mission to go out and, and speak to the Gentiles. He's going to learn how much he's got to suffer for God's name. Uh, but he's out there. His, God wants him to be obedient to what, first of all, what he sees in Scripture. And Paul did that. He was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and he was going to do that. And it says that in the Old Testament, Paul was going to follow through with what Scripture said. But God also put a special calling on Paul's life because God said, Paul, I want you to go on a mission trip. And I want you to go on another mission trip and another mission trip. And I want you to tell these people who have never heard my name, I want you to tell them about Jesus. And Paul said, sign me up. I'm going to go and share the message about Jesus. Paul was obedient to what he already knew, but Paul was also obedient to what that special calling on his life was for Paul that wasn't for anybody else. Even to the point of going to Jerusalem, where he was compelled to go, even though he had people who were begging him not to go and being told that he's going to get tied up if he goes. And his friends begging him and crying and pleading with him not to go. He says, I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And so what we see there is that you and I, I put my trust in Jesus. I've been baptized. I need to be obedient to what God's called me to do. That's going to involve, first of all, what do you see in Scripture? Right? This is a great big book. There's gobs of things in here that we need to every day be reading and putting into practice. It might be just the command to be baptized. Why would you see that in Scripture? You're supposed to believe and be baptized. And maybe that's what God's knocking on the door of your heart to say, hey, you got to be baptized to be doing what Scripture says. It might be keeping your tongue from evil, avoiding a gossip. Those things are found in Scripture. It might be something really, really difficult. Like it says in the Scriptures, leave room for God to have revenge. Don't, don't take care of yourself. Let God take care of it. Give it to Him and His timing. Let Him take care of the revenge. That's tough to do. But that's what we see in Scripture. So if we are going to be obedient people, Christians for Jesus, we are going to take what the Scriptures say and we're going to try to put it into practice. But also there's this thing of God's calling 
called you to do something specific. Now, God called me to be a pastor. He called me to Plumpton, Montana, which I had never heard of until I, I applied for the job, right? I never knew it. But I didn't find that in the Bible. I didn't turn to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 4. Josh, you are to go to Plumpton, Montana, be a pastor from 2016 till at least 2022, and who knows how far beyond. I didn't read that in Scripture to say I was supposed to go. But God, through the Holy Spirit, knew how to convince me to be here. And if you're willing to do what Scripture says, God's going to show you what that other thing is that He wants you to do. There are people who are called to go to the mission field. Uh, there are people, you know, our, our missionaries, uh, Rick and Debbie Barden, they said something kind of interesting in here. They said, oh, we praise God for the, uh, let's see, for the much-needed encouraging words in person and by an email from all our churches. You don't find specifically right Rick and Debbie Barden in the Bible. Right? But there are people who God put it on their heart that, hey, you should go out and encourage these missionaries. And so they did. We need to be faithful to what we already know and be obedient to what God has called us to do. So, first of all, Paul was baptized. The second is, he knows he's got to do what God's word says. And number three is the hardest. And here's, is, he, he had to face persecution. It says here in verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. So this was a long time ago. This is a long time ago before, right after Paul's conversion, before he's gone through all these missionary journeys. He's told, quick, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. And you find that Paul said to the Gentiles, and as you read through verses 22 through 30, all these people get upset at Paul. They try to... Get the, get the riot kind of going again. They try to get Paul put in prison. He almost gets beaten. He gets put back in the shackles, and he's called off to prison. But Paul is told, is told he's pretty much he's going to be facing persecution. People are not going to like him. And that's part of being a Christian. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live a godly life, persecution is going to be a part of it. And just think, what did we talk about last week? Just in the very, very recent past, if you were with us, if you're following, following it, following along, if you remember, Paul was almost killed in a riot. Right? He's, he's, he's just in the synagogue. He's praying. He's doing synagogue kinds of things, and he gets accused, and all the people right now on the spot want to kill him. And there's a great big riot that forms, and they're trying to persecute. They're trying to kill Paul. Just recently, he just went through this. Paul is bound in chains. And for the next five years of Paul's life, he's going to be in prison. Maybe not shackled for five years, but he's going to be in prison for five years. You know, last week we found that Paul was the only guy who got in trouble for that riot. And that was part of the persecution that he was going to face. Uh, in the next couple weeks, we're going to see how people are trying, they're planning and scheming to get rid of Paul, to, take, to get him to Jerusalem so that they can kill him along the way. That is part of living the Christian life, is being persecuted. And a lot of people put the brakes on right there. Sure, I will be baptized. That's pretty easy. I will follow through with some of what Scripture says. But when it comes to that persecution part, I'm, I don't think I want to sign up for that. And I tell you, that's a scary thing. I really don't want to get punched in the nose because somebody hates Jesus. And they hate me because I love Jesus. I don't want my, my kids getting picked on. I don't want my tires getting slashed. I don't want every window in this church getting broken. We just got 
got them in. But those are some of those things that could happen if I take a stand for Jesus. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, if you're going to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted. But again, remember, what did Jesus do for us? He went to the cross for me. I'm eternally grateful. And I pray to God that he helps me to put everything into practice that I read and that he helps me to be the witness that he's asked me to be moving forward. You know, we've, we've gone through this message, and I know that this is a very familiar story to a lot of us. But I really do hope that something in here resonated with you. Um, I'm going to ask everybody in a few minutes to close your eyes and bow your heads. I, I'm not going to be looking myself, so if you don't, if you stuck your tongue out at me, I'm not even going to know. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray one of three prayers. Quietly to yourself. God can handle it. One is, I, I realize that I don't know Jesus as my Savior. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to admit to Jesus that I need him as my Savior. And I'm going to accept his free gift of salvation so that I can have eternal life. So if that's the prayer you need to pray, please pray that prayer. Number two, if you are realizing that, you know what, I claim to be a Christian, and I, maybe I really am, but my, my walk is not really matching my talk. And there's, there's areas of your life that's screaming at you that says, you know what, I've, I've done this, I've said this, I've participated in that, and it's not really Jesus, the thing to do. I want you to repent and tell Jesus, you know what, I'm sorry for, for not doing what Scripture says. I'm sorry for allowing these activities in my life. Please help me from this point on that there would be proof in the pudding. I say I believe in Jesus. There is a living and real active difference in my life. So if that's what you need, I pray that you would pray that. And if you're saying, you know what, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm not perfect, but for the most part, I really am trying. I, I want you to say a quick prayer of, please help me to do better. But I also want you to pray for anybody else in here. You don't have to say them by name, but just... If there's somebody in here that doesn't know Jesus, they've got to make that decision. As somebody here is struggling to, to walk with Jesus, they could use that extra prayer. So just, just I'm just going to, it's going to probably be awkward silence for about two minutes. I'm going to be praying as well, and then I'll close with prayer. And then we're going to sing our song, Just As I Am. And everybody's going to stand up, hopefully, and sing. And if you would like prayer for anything, if you would like prayer for salvation, if you would like prayer for to walk better with the Lord, if you would like prayer for a sick friend, I, I would like to pray here with you. I'm, all I'm going to do is say, hey, what do you want to pray for? You're going to tell me, and we're going to pray. It's going to be that simple. And if nobody comes up, that's okay, too. But I just want to give you the opportunity and say, I'm here if you'd like to pray with somebody. So if you need to pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior, today is the day of salvation. If you need to repent because you haven't been living life the way you should, today is the day to do that, too. And please be praying for other people if, if, if that's the case as well.